And when I started my company or I had the idea, people told me, oh, you can't do that. You don't have any business cards or letterhead. And I'm going, well, that's not a big deal. You don't have any vendor relationships. And you know, all it's like, you know, not listening to that and figuring out, okay, here's my vision and I'm gonna go and people will go with me. That is, Judy, that is really good. I think that's all encompassing. I'll just add one thing is believing in yourself. So I think you have to really trust, trust yourself. Even when people don't believe in you, you have to really believe in your vision and then you believe in yourself. Welcome everyone to the 17th episode of In Your Best Interest, an ALM First podcast. A show that will explore common depository challenges, give you an insider's view of the latest market trends, and share stories and insights from industry leaders. I'm your host, Mike Ensweiler. In the latest Fortune Deloitte CEO survey, approximately half of CEOs expect strong growth for their organizations over the next 12 months, which is a decline from just over five months ago. The Fortune Deloitte CEO survey series tracks the perspectives and actions of CEOs from the world's largest and most influential companies. The survey gives key insights into CEOs' priorities, challenges, and expectations across more than 15 industries, including technology, finance, and healthcare. Still top of mind for CEOs, the effects of the Great Resignation also remain a major disruptor as business leaders deploy new tactics to attract and retain top talent. CEOs have traditionally remained a beacon of hope and optimism throughout turbulent times. However, after leading their organizations through an unprecedented health crisis over the last two years, and now facing a new wave of social, political, and economic disruptions, it's not surprising to see that respondents shared lower growth expectations and rising pessimism. The latest survey insights also bring to light what appears to be increased expectations on the evolving role of the CEO. So in addition to the economic and competitive challenges business leaders face, attracting and retaining talent, as well as developing corporate culture, are items that seem to be top of mind among many of the C-suite leaders I speak with. Coming out of a pandemic, work from home, or some form of hybrid work environment seem to be the norm for many, at least for now. So that has me thinking, how does one thrive in a leadership role when face-to-face -face interactions have become the exception for many versus a rule? How do you attract and just as importantly retain talent in this environment? How do you ensure your company values are understood and being lived by those you work with and who work for you? Listeners like the real story, so let's get a glimpse on how they face today's challenges. My guests today are Dee Dee Myers and Emily Hollis. Dee Dee is the CEO of DDJ Myers and Emily is the CEO of ALM First. Both have spent more than 25 years growing their firms, brands, and national following. They work with and talk to CEOs of financial services firms daily. The two firms have recently joined forces, and I'm excited to speak with them today to understand what it takes to be a successful financial services leader in today's environment. Thank you, Dee Dee and Emily, for joining me today. Well, thank you, Mike, and thank you, Dee Dee. It's great to be here. Absolutely, Mike. Delighted to be here, and thank you, Emily. Well, let's set the stage for our listeners by understanding how you define leadership. Well, I guess I'll tackle that first. Um, 
I know what it's not. Uh, leadership is not management. It, it is leading people. Uh, I think the definition entails the ability to translate a vision into a reality, listening, caring about your employees, um, knowing what makes each employee feel motivated. Oh, I like that, Emily. And mm -hmm. then what goes behind that, from my perspective, are four things uh, in leadership. We come into the world with a certain IQ. You know, so we're born with that. How we decide to leverage it is up to us. Then we learn a certain subject. So you have subject matter expertise. And then I think what's really important lately with all the stuff going on in the market is time, time and, uh, and, and wisdom that we build in our experiences. And then the fourth one is something we can't learn uh, in school. It's our presence, the self that we are, the self that you are, being centered, being open. And uh, the most effective leaders that I've seen are inspiring those that can translate a vision into effective action, constantly practice developing those skills uh, to be um, a commanding or uh, open and centered presence. By commanding, I mean not command and control, but compelling, somebody that others will want to lean into and listen and follow. Do you think leading by example plays into that? All the time. Absolutely. So we, what we say is uh, we're always revealing ourselves, always revealing yourself. So even at home as a leader of the house or in the company, you know, Emily does this, I do this, we're always revealing ourselves. So whatever we model has to be intentional. I, I totally agree. I think that's how you gain respect too. I mean, I, I you know, we, we want to trust our employees, so we have to be trusted. Uh, we want our employees to have the vision, the passion. So if we don't have the vision and the passion, how are we going to gain that respect and how are you going to lead without it? So I think that's a really good point, Dee. Well, I uh, carry on that, Emily, is uh, to get that um, trust, we have to trust ourselves first. So uh, you know, so the four parts of leadership is what people see from the outside in. The other piece is what, how do we believe we are a leader? What's our gift? What's our value? And how are we actually showing others that? Uh, what we find in, in leadership and our coaching and development is a lot of us have potential and gifts that we're, we're kind of holding on to. And I think that's what leadership is, is getting people to follow. So in terms of self-integrity, here's who I believe I am and here's how I'm showing up. That also engenders trust. I think that's a really good point. And I'd love for you to share your leadership journey with the listeners, if you don't mind. And do you have a defining moment oh, that I, you're willing I, to share? I have a lot, but I'll, I'll <laughs> tell you. This is my first one. So as a lot of people know, I look different than a lot of people. I was born with one hand. So I was uh, uh, and early in my work and at school. I was told that I wasn't very smart. I wouldn't um, amount to anything because... I look different. So people, a lot of people in my world then said, oh, she looks different. She's stupid. She's not very smart. And I even remember being in grade school with the kids that were development challenged. And I'm going, oh, I just feel weird here. So I kind of would take it all in and sort it out and then find a new place where I felt good. So one day I'm on, I have a date, you know, and I met this guy at a football game. I was 16 years old and it was cold in Phoenix. So I had a coat on. And the guy asked me out, hey, can I take you out for dinner? I go, sure. So I'm going to open the door. And as I put my hand close to the doorknob, I go, oh, my gosh, he doesn't know I have just one hand. I don't think he's want to go to want to go out with me. And then I figured, well, I have choice. I can open the door or not open the door. And my mom could say, oh, she can't go out. I decided to open the door just to experience 
what is it going to be like to be with somebody who doesn't want to be with me? So I opened the door and his eyes got so big. It's like, uh, I couldn't say anything. <laughs> so then I had another choice. Do I go to dinner with him or not? So we go to dinner and it was, it was not good. He was so uncomfortable. And halfway through dinner, I said, you know, maybe you should take me home. And he goes, yeah. So I went home and I checked my mood. I go, well, how are you, Dee Dee? And you go, okay, this is reality. This is going to happen in life. So what are you going to do about it? So in my novice way, I took a blank piece of paper. I drew a line down the middle. On the left-hand side, I wrote down at the top, um, you know, not good at, or this is what I don't do well. On the right-hand side, this is what I like, or I do well. And I filled out this list. And the only thing I could put on the left-hand side that I didn't like to do or do well was dust. That was my job. I was, <laughs> I was supposed to dust. But then I looked at the list on the right-hand side, and I decided, you know, I'm a good person. You know, so that was my defining moment, that from the inside, I go, you know, Didi, you have some value and worth. You just have to figure out how to share it. So that's my big defining moment. Wow. I don't think I am such a That is an awesome story. Uh, no, I, I think my defining moments were just little, little moments where I just was making mistakes. I mean, as a young CEO, you know, starting this company 26, seven years ago, I think I made a lot of mistakes. I think I was very controlling, not controlling in you have to do this and that and the other, but not really trusting my employees, thinking that I can do everything myself better. And that just doesn't work very well. You have to be able to, to push work down and you have to trust your employees. And I think there are a lot of little defining moments of, wow, this person is really good. This person has some insight. This person is actually better than I am. So this is, you know, this is going to be great if I, you know, trust the person and, and push down a lot of the, the work. So, so Emily, I, I like that because we, you know, I've made a ton of mistakes. I, you know, encyclopedia is full, but so when you would make a mistake, how did you keep going? How did you keep, you know, the fortitude and resilience to keep going? What drove you there? Um, I think the, the being scared that you're going to fail in something. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I tell you, the first few years of Alien First were really tough. Every, every week, we didn't know if we were going to make it or not. So knowing that there were a lot of things to do and you had to push down some work or else we just wouldn't make it. Mm -hmm. And I know there's a lot of small companies that don't because they, they, they don't trust employees and then they get overloaded and they can't move forward. But I think to answer your question, I think it was just being so scared that we were going to fail or I was going to fail and mm. this vision, this endeavor that I really believed in. I, I, I think leaders have visions for themselves and visions for the company and, and fear is motivating. And then it's a, a fear of not realizing our vision. So it's that, that play, the polarities there, I think are important that we live in. Yeah. And I think that another thing with leaders that, are I think at fault is being too scared of failure. Mm -hmm. So if you're too scared of failure, you don't try anything. And that's not good either. You don't take any risks. Exactly. Right. Yeah. I remember when I started my company or I had the idea, people told me, oh, you can't do that. You don't have any business cards or letterhead. And I'm going, well, that's not a big deal. You don't have any vendor relationships. And, you know, all it's like, you know, not listening to that and figuring out, okay, here's my vision and I'm going to go and people will go with me. I like that, what you said about the mistakes and keep going. Yes. Yeah. So then how did you parlay that? Or what about your leadership made Alem First a success? Well, I think keeping 
you know, keeping the excitement going, giving and, and expanding on what I just said, giving the executives more control and having the executives be motivated to have their own visions, their own passions, their own goals. Um, I think that the challenge is to make sure that you're not siloed and you have to make sure that all of the executives are in unison. But um, that that is really an exciting thing when you see an executive fulfill their dreams. And, uh, you know, sometimes they're a lot smarter than you are. So. <laughs> what about you, Didi? Yeah, there are a lot there is. Um, I think uh, from a young child, I was always gifted with vision and possibility and potential. And, you know, Peter Myers has been in our company for 20 years, says, I have a knack for seeing vision around the corner. Yeah, I do. Yeah. But what happens is I can't execute that vision by myself. You know, uh, there's people on the team who actually can take it and 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 uh, fine tune it and move it forward. You know, so we call that being an increaser. There's an igniter and an increaser, and oh, so I like that. yeah, we're having that that uh, in in play there. And after that, it's you know the nurture, the the people that hold it, take care of it, take care of the customers, and and then knowing when to stop. We call that completion. But it's uh, I think we we do need people in the company have vision. We need people who believe in the vision and will go um, and put in put in the time to do it. You know, I, I love my team. Uh, when we hire people, we hire pretty much for, here's your role, get to know that, and then you can go. You can take that and expand and own a part of an offer. And I think that's what I really like about our team members. They, they take that on. So what advice do you have for those who are starting their leadership journey? I do... Uh, coaching about uh, one or two Saturdays a month for people who want help with their resumes. They think they want to be CEO or C-suite. So I really, I think what it is, is like, how do they see themselves now? And what is their journey that is possible? I think that blank piece of paper, taking that blank piece of paper and saying on one side, this is what I do really well. And on the other side, this is what I love. And seeing how those places over overlap or intersect is our sweet spot. And so getting to know self, self-awareness, self-clarity is really important. Getting feedback from people you, you trust. I think it's also great to have a personal board of directors. You know, so it's like an oval table and sitting across from you is your, your most poignant challenger. It's going to call you on your BS and then you have an advocator and you've got a supporter and um, somebody just listens to you. So, so having that and then, you know, keep learning, network, keep learning, talk to people what we see is uh, CEOs who are successful or anyone who's successful, so you take 20 to 25% of your time every week and it's unencumbered. And that's your space to keep learning and developing. Um, and ask, ask for help, set a target. I mean, we can want something, but if we don't put it out there, then we're not gonna get it. And I like what you say, you know, we're gonna fail and keep coming back. Yeah, that that is, Judy, that is really good. I think that's all encompassing. I'll just add one thing is believing in yourself. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I heard your background. Well, my background, I was in the arts and I was trying to go back to school. And I remember um, taking the entrance exams for, for an MBA, knowing that I have to go back to school. And I had this friend of mine and she said, you're not going to get in MBA. You're not going to get into MBA. My brother tried to get in that school and he didn't get in. And I remember thinking, who is your brother? <laughs> and and there was a moment there where I truly believed. I mean, if this boy at the time couldn't get in, what could I do? Getting in a good MBA school, being a woman or whatever, and 
And there was a moment of doubt. And I went, no, 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 I'm going to get in. I'm going to do this. So I think you have to really trust, trust yourself. Even when people don't believe in you, you have to really believe in your vision. And then you believe in yourself. So I think that's a great segue. So what about those folks who are maybe not early in their career, but in the middle of their career with aspirations to um, advance to a C-level type of role? Well, uh you know, you, you said in your beginning here uh, how complex the world is and, and ways we have to pay attention to, Mike, are so different now. So that also means that our competencies and characteristics need to need to be diverse and robust, uh, no longer a linear checklist of, of competencies. We have to move beyond that. We have to look at what are our three or four or five core competencies or leadership characteristics that we can take and pivot as we need to. So pivot ourselves, pivot our team, pivot our organizations. Rob Sharon writes about that, and I love it. It's like helping boards see that when they hire a CEO. It's not just a linear list anymore. And helping people who want to aspire to, they're, we're mid-level and they want to be C-suite. It's not just being great in one part of the organization. Yes, be great there, but also add value across the organization from a visionary and strategic perspective. So reaching out and, and um, you know, and partnering with others in the organization, I think there's endless possibilities. Yes, and and I'm I tend to be targeting on soft skills, but also be humble. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you know, when 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 you're when you're trying to do better for the company, I think that the higher level understand that. And so when you're trying to do better with the company, you have to do better for for the employees that are under you. And um, I think that's really critical. I remember. Uh, listening to a speaker once and somebody asked him from the audience, what can I do to advance myself? And his response was, you can make your boss look better. And I almost stood up and said, excuse me, can I, can I make a statement here? And I, I was already, Alan first was already pretty far along. And I was so against that. I thought that was such a wrong answer. I mean, in order to be able to really improve yourself, you really need to make the people under you look better Mm. because you take responsibility for their actions. You take responsibility to lead them, to teach them, to motivate them. And that's what's best for the company, not the other way around. I think that's such a great perspective, you know, just putting it back into the to everyday life, you know, when I watch football, they'll they'll have a, a coach and then they'll talk about all the people who came from the coaching tree, right? And so they're judged certainly by wins and losses, just like a CEO or other C-suite person is, but also the people they develop. How many other coaches are in the league as a result of that person training and developing them? And I think that's a, a really great, you know, tie-in to what you just said. You might need to do both. Do what you said is, you know, uh, develop people and bring them along. And for us to keep developing is if we make our bosses look better, it means we're stretching and building new muscles and new competencies and leadership characteristics. And like we said about the soft skills, um, uh, humility, being humble, being a servant leader is so important. And then what we're seeing boards are asking of new CEOs of uh, five soft skills. One is, of course, leadership, compelling others to follow a vision, being able to make the tough decisions in a timely manner. We're also seeing very recently a lot around futuristic thinking, you know, uh, as a norm, not as an exception, being creative and innovative and also setting and attaining goals. So those are all uh, soft skills as well. The the last one, not that it's uh, not not as important as the other. If you don't have the interpersonal skills and ability to develop relationships, it's a no, it's a no go. 
you got to wrap all that up. Yes, relationships are very critical. Yeah. So one of the things that I think has been a challenge is I talk to people, whether in this room or, you know, the the folks we deal with day to day is, is how do you instill your values and corporate culture on your teams? Um, Especially in these times where you might have work from home employees that you never had before. I know that's a challenge that we face at Alem First. Um, or you have hybrid type um, models. And so have you? what do you as leaders do? And then what have you seen as maybe best practices in this area? Well, I think we've touched on that. Um, it, you have to set an example in the culture. You just have to set an example. And when you really care about the clients, when the the culture is high service when the culture is, um, uh, you know, trusting each other and trying to be cohesive in a, in a very high integrity culture. I think you can show that in, in different ways. Um, but, um, you know, I, I know that as a leader, I make sure that I say what I do. I, you know, we, I tend to get clients that are, that might be upset about something. And I keep telling my employees, it's easier for the CEO to call a accountant and, and they, they, they automatically get a lot nicer because they're like, wow, they really care, mm-hmm. you know, so the employees can see that and, uh, responding to employees right away, just like they are clients. I mean, they can see that that is part of the culture. So it is just setting an example. Yeah, I agree with that. And uh, one thing that, you know, I'll say I find challenging and, and inspired to do more and better at is more one-on-one time with the employees. I think uh, I can get wrapped up in, in getting things done and being a single mom and all of that, but just keep remembering it takes all, you know, showing up at all. So in terms of my values, one of my values is to, um, or, or an outcome of values to be able to create a space in our organization where people feel like they belong. Uh, that they can um, uh, evolve their self-efficacy to learn and be the con- contributor that they want. So giving them the space versus suffocating them, you know, and uh, that's that's what I love doing. Well, this has been great. And I think we could probably spend hours doing this, but we are voting up against the clock. So I just have a couple more things I want to ask. What attracted you to, to decide to join forces and have DDJ Myers become a Alem First Company. Okay, I'm going to take that. <laughs> okay, Dee Dee and I were at, and I won't say the name, we were we met each other, and I had met Dee Dee years ago, just yeah. in conferences and here and there, but we were, we were at a, a, a client together, and I asked her to have a drink. So, remember? Yeah, yeah so we yeah. had a drink, and I was just very impressed. You had our culture. You had the vision. You had our mission. I mean, she really cared about her clients. And um, so I thought it would be a great fit and in helping uh, DGJ Myers in support. And I thought it would be a win-win just to expand our products as well. And I think we just really hit it off. And and I know we've looked at, uh, you know, a lot. You, you're always looking at acquisitions, but culture is essential anytime you look at some acquisition and, and y'all had it. So um, that's how we started off talking. So that was Emily's perspective about you, Dee. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. That's <laughs> awesome. That was, that was, that was, thank you for bringing that yeah. up. Boy, you never know, you know how we can intersect and blend and connect and we create a future together. Uh, yeah, so 
Yeah, I've talked to a lot of organizations over the past few years because I start, you know, looking ahead, like, what's my legacy going to be and what do I want to leave? And and it would really hurt my heart if I left the company in a place where uh, people just were lost. You know, if I decided to move on and uh, there's some philanthropy work I want to do, but I really felt like I need to get the company in a certain place. And I also felt like I, I made my BHAG. I, I got it. Then I go, OK, now I'm going to double down and do more, but I can't do it without help. I can't do it without help. And, and Emily and Alem first just was a no brainer, just, you know, had to happen. So now, you know, I get to let go of the things that I don't want to do back office kind of stuff and focus more on the front and more time to develop my people or I should say my people, the team, you know, so I'm just excited and I wake up every day invigorated and can't wait for the next couple of months to release some more things. So, um, yeah, thank you, Emily, very much. So, thanks for uh, trusting us to come aboard. Awesome. This is so inspiring. I love sitting in a room with you too, and I just have a big old smile on my face that I wish everyone could see. Um, but we are running up against the the clock here. So, what closing thoughts would you each like to share? I'm excited. I think uh, this is a time of place where we all need to put, uh, you know, our stake in the sand and go, what is our vision? What does life look like for us five years, 10 years? And don't wait, just take those bold steps and, and, and go with people that you love and trust and respect. It's just time. Don't wait anymore. Yeah, I would agree. I'm, I'm, my closing remark is I'm, I'm so excited about this um, um, merger and I'm so excited about the future and um, and our roles in in maybe you know helping our, to other uh, young women that might want to mm-hmm. be in our position someday. It, it's really kind of exciting to to be in that position as well to give back, so to speak. Very inspiring. My daughters are so excited that I work with another female CEO. Mm-hmm. Can't <laughs> wait to meet you. <laughs> Well, thank you, Dee Dee and Emily, for joining us today and sharing your insight on leadership in today's environment. Thank, thank you, Mike. Mike. Awesome. At the end of each episode, I'd like to take a moment and let you know about some of the additional resources we have available. Registration for our financial forum is open and space is limited. We have a robust workshop, conference, and webinar schedule So be sure to visit our website for more details on these and additional educational offerings, as well as our resource center for recorded webinars, articles, and more. As always, stay safe, stay healthy, and thank you for listening to In Your Best Interest, an Elon First podcast. content in this podcast is provided for informational purposes and should not be relied upon as recommendations or financial planning advice. We encourage you to seek personalized advice from qualified professionals regarding all investment decisions. Current and future holdings are subject to risk. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. Information presented herein is for discussion and illustrative purposes only and is not a recommendation or an offer or solicitation to buy or sell any securities. The views and opinions expressed by the Alem First financial advisor speakers are their own as of the date of the recording. Any such views are subject to change at any time based upon market or other conditions and Alem First financial advisors disclaims any responsibility to update such views. These views should not be relied on as investment advice. Because investment decisions are based on numerous factors may not be relied on as an indication of trading intent on behalf of any Alem First financial advisor's product. 
Neither ALIM, First Financial Advisors, nor the speaker can be held responsible for any direct or incidental loss incurred by applying any of the information offered. ALIM First Financial Advisors is an SEC-registered investment advisor with a fiduciary duty that requires it to act in the best interests of clients and to place the interests of clients before its own. However, registration as an investment advisor does not imply any level of skill or training.